Welcome to the Vineyard Cleveland podcast. We hope you enjoy this message. For further information and other resources, please visit vineyardcleveland.org. Hey, God delights in you this morning. God delights in who you are. That's it. Have a great day. God delights in you this morning. A friend reminded me, yeah, a friend reminded me just before I came uh, up here to speak that Jesus delights in who you are. In Zephaniah 3.17, we read that the Lord your God is with you and he takes great delight in you. He's mighty to save He will quiet you with his love. He will rejoice over you with singing. God delights in who you are. The scriptures say that he knew you even before he created you. The scriptures say that you are fearfully and wonderfully made. That he actually knit or stitched you together. He knows every molecule, every cell. He puts you together in your mama's belly. You have this signature of God inscribed on your soul. How many of you know this morning that God takes great delight in who you are? And this morning is not going to be a long one, but has everything to do with God taking delight in who you are. He loves you eternally with lavish, deep, infinite, committed covenant love. And that he holds the same deep, committed covenant love for every single man and woman and child on the planet. Now and in history past. And for every person that will come after us, the same deep, lavish, covenant, committed love. God loves you unlike how everyone else loves you. Your idea of love is so small. My idea of what it means to be loved is so small in comparison to how God feels about you. How he actually responds to you. And in this series, For the Sake of the World... We've been defining what the gospel is, what the good news is. And remember, we said we don't want to stay there. We don't want to stay in this intellect headspace, although it's good. The faculties of the mind are good. It's good to define what it is that we carry inside of our chest if we're to offer hope and God's love to other people. And then we moved forward. We never really move forward past the gospel, but in the series I'm talking about here, in the series we move forward into um, why the gospel. From what is the gospel to why is the gospel. And we talked about being saved from and saved to, like Good Friday and Easter, like death and resurrection. And this morning is sort of wrapping a tight Uh, a a neat and tidy bow around the why of the gospel. And our hope is not that we would have 
more evangelistic events. That's like the last thing that we need, church. It's not to... um, It's not to have this sense of guilt on the people like, you should be sharing your faith more with other people. That's not the goal. Jesus never led out of guilt. Jesus never led out of manipulation or fear, but he always led in the way of love. That's who he is. And so the goal really through this series is that we would behold the person of Jesus, that we'd fix our eyes on him. And when we understand, or when we grasp just a tiny iota of his deep, committed love for us, that we would be, as Paul writes, compelled. Compelled. Remember, we talked about that word, what it means to to be compelled. That we couldn't help share this treasure that we found in the person of Jesus with others. The early church was like that. Remember, we said it wasn't like a dude on stage. It, it, wasn't, it wasn't the special anointed person of God who was uh, contributing to the massive expansion of Christianity in the early days. No, it was everyday ordinary people. It was at the, the market. It was in the home. It, it, it was through ordinary everyday people that we saw the massive expansion of the early church. They understood that it wasn't someone else's responsibility. That they claimed Christ for, uh, he, he, he was their Messiah, he was their treasure that they had been waiting for. And through his death and his resurrection, they had felt as though they had discovered the greatest treasure known on the history of the planet. And so they couldn't help but share this treasure with other people. God delights in you this morning. (laughs) You are the poema of God. You're the poetry of God, the signature of God inscribed on your lives to carry His presence everywhere that you go. God delights in you this morning. I'm going to say it 3,000 times until you hear it. For my own soul, God delights in me. And as we read in Colossians, you are free from accusation. God delights in the things that he creates. Even back in the very beginning, he creates and he says it's good. When he creates men and women, he says it's very good. The only thing that wasn't good was that man was alone. God delights in who you are. And so from time immemorial, God has set this longing in each and every person. Ecclesiastes says that he set eternity in the hearts of men and women. And this is the sticky point of how I feel God wants us to grab hold of this morning. That he set eternity in our hearts and in the hearts of those around you. If they are human creatures and they have a beating heart, that heart has eternity inscribed in it. That person, just like you, carries the imago Dei, carries the image of God 
reflected back to you and reflected back up to God. There's eternity inscribed in that person. Eternal worth inscribed in in that person. Even the person that cut you off on 480 last week. God has inscribed eternity in that one too. Even the co-worker who makes you annoyed to no end. God has inscribed eternity into that one. Yes, dudes, even your mother-in-law. The Lord has inscribed eternity into her heart as well. Into every human being. And when we begin to grasp this eternity in our hearts um, way of being, way of seeing, way of understanding Jesus' love for us, His delight for us, only then can we offer, um, we begin to see it on other people. We begin to see that they too are created in the image of God. They too are worthy to be seen by God. They too too are undeserving. But in the grace of God and through your sharing and your demonstration of the good news can receive this eternal love for themselves through you. That God wants to partner with you. Ecclesiastes 3, 9 through 11. What do workers gain from their toil? The ancient preacher writes, I have seen the burden God has laid on the human race. He has made everything beautiful in its time. He has also set eternity in the human heart. Yet no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. There's this old Scottish Presbyterian preacher, his name was Samuel Rutherford, and he talks about the wedding garment, and he talks about our union with Christ like a, a, like a wedding garment and a wedding ceremony, and how no bride, as they're walking down the aisle, though she is stunning and her dress is beautiful, Her focus and attention is not on her dress in that moment. Where is her focus and attention? On the groom, on the bridegroom. It's all him. And so Samuel Rutherford wrote this. He said, Our love to Christ should begin on earth as it shall be in heaven. For the bride taketh not by a thousand degrees so much delight in her wedding garment as she does in her, in her bridegroom. So we, he goes on to write, in the life to come, howbeit clothed with glory as with a robe, shall not be so much affected with the glory that goes about us as with the bridegroom's joyful face and presence. We were built for eternity, and when we get to heaven, on the other side of the heaven, on the other side of, on the other side of eternity, when we get to heaven, how many of you know that you won't be concerned with heaven or what a wonderful place it is? All of us will be consumed not with the wedding dress, 
but with the bridegroom. That we will behold Jesus finally face to face. And that the beauty of who he is since the dawn of creation will consume us. Too wonderful for us to take in. That the love he has loved you with since you were born and since before you were even born will enrapture you and you will, you will not help. That's why we sang this morning that every knee will bow. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Because we couldn't help, we won't be able to contain it. We will be face to face consumed with the person of Jesus. We won't even care that we're in heaven. Because what is heaven without the presence of Jesus? It's not Jesus' presence. Eternity in our hearts and eternity in the, uh, in the lives of every man, man and woman means that there is this desire that God has built in each one of us, not for uh, the gospel, the, the, the forgiveness of sin or justification or sanctification or any of those crazy theological words, save from, save to, what we've been talking about for the past couple of weeks, but a deep longing in each one of us for what? For union with Him, with our Creator. And everyone is walking. There's not one person that's walking around who doesn't carry the ache. You know the ache. The ache. That one day, there won't be human trafficking that we have to fight against. Which I'm very proud of Sherry and Mika and, and the others who led us in that um, fight for justice. For awareness. Just the awareness is that the awareness that there is human trafficking that goes on. There are little children that are sold into slavery for sex. And Sherry and Mika and others were all black. I'm glad you, I set the trend there for you. You guys are picking up on something I'm throwing down. And they marched in Ohio City in solidarity with those children and with the Lord who sees them. They're not unseen to him. He sees them. There's an ache that Sherry and Mika feel in their hearts for one day where there won't be human trafficking. Right? One day when there won't be homelessness. Jesus says, I go to prepare a place for you. Won't that be amazing? Jesus eradicating all homelessness in one fell swoop. Where there won't be domestic violence. Where, where there won't be fentanyl overdoses. Where there won't be viruses. Where there won't be these things. There's an ache in each one of us for the brokenness to just stop. It's an unavoidable ache. One of the early church fathers, Augustine, wrote in his book, Confessions, to praise you is the desire of men and women. A little piece of your creation. You stir men and women to take pleasure in praising you because you have made us for yourself. And our heart is restless until it rests in you. You've made us for yourself and our hearts are restless 
until they find rest in you. Anne Cousin was a hymn writer, and she took Rutherford's words and August, Augustine's confession and put them like in, into one. And if Ecclesiastes is the Old Testament version, Romans 8.28 is the New Testament version. Anne Cousin's hymn reads this, the, bride, the bride's eyes, not her garment, but her dear bridegroom's face. I will not gaze at glory, but on my King of grace, not at the crown he giveth, but on his precious, uh, on his pierced hand. The Lamb is all the glory of Emmanuel's land. And then Paul in Romans 8 says, We know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. God has set eternity in all of our hearts. And you can take encouragement with you this morning that God takes great delight in you. Not just from when you were born, but before you were born. And as you take on that encouragement, you remember that you were created in the image of God. That you are not on accident. And as you experience God's deep love for you, you begin to understand that He has created every man and woman in His image. And that they too, they too carry the image of God. And as you are aware of the presence of God in you, and this deep, lavish, committed, covenant love for you, that you couldn't help out of that place, not from manipulation, not from guilt, not from being afraid of, of divine wrath or anything like that, but from a place of love, offer that to fellow image bearers. Do you know how powerful that is to the people in your lives who don't not, don't yet know that. They don't know it yet. And through your sharing or your demonstration, gosh, I said I wasn't going to be long and you guys got me talking again. Goodness, goodness gracious, that's so powerful for them in your life to hear that they are loved by God. I guarantee no one else is telling them that. Because all they're hearing is the, is the opposite of Colossians 1. All they're hearing is the accusation of the enemy. All they're hearing is condemnation. You, therefore, there is no condemnation. For those who don't yet know Christ, that's all they hear. Condemnation, shame, guilt, fear, accusation. You're this. You'll never be that. You're just like your brother. You're just like your dad. You're going to turn out this way. That's all they're hearing. For their moments they're awake and sometimes when they're sleeping. And as you experience God's deep, lavish love for yourself and you speak the truth over people, that word goes forward. You're not the summation of other people's expectations. When you grab a hold of that for yourself, that you are not what other people think of you, that you are what the Father thinks of you, you're what Jesus thinks about you. The Father doesn't see your sin on you anymore. He only sees the shed blood of Jesus on you. When he looks across the table, he just sees Jesus on you. And when you share that with other people who don't yet know it yet, you're not that person. You're just not that person anymore. That's powerful for them. That changes lives, you see. That's how God does it for the sake of the world. That's how he does it.
through broken people like you and me.